0: We are in part five of our sermon series this week, Can You Only Imagine? We have been talking about finding and living out the purpose for which God created us. If You'll remember in the last sermon series we were talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that God wants to bring to each one of us so that we can be effective in sharing the good news of Jesus with people who need to hear it. And, and, and this sermon series is the practical means by which we do that. And so everything that we, we've been talking about in, in, in living out that purpose for which God created us needs and requires the empowerment, the infilling of the Holy Spirit in order for us to do it effectively. And so, you know, I want to give you that context every Sunday because this is not just finding out what you're good at and then then saying, okay, here I am. We need God's Spirit guiding us and directing us. You know, before He created us, He had a purpose for every one of us. I love what God told the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 5. He said, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. Wow, what an amazing God. Now, in order for God to do that, God had to know us intimately, He had to know us inside and out to know the very fiber of our being, which then enabled him to create us with the purpose for our life. How many of you believe that God has a purpose still for you? I hope every one of us do. I I just believe that God in his mercy would not... Leave us in this world that's getting more and more evil by the day if he did not have a divine purpose for each and every one of us yet to find and to, to live out. And, and so, uh, you know, in those words that God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah, he was saying, Jeremiah, your purpose was, was established before you were born, before you were even conceived in the womb. And with those words from God, Jeremiah, like many of the rest of us, kind of protested what God had to share with him. Anybody? You ever kind of give a protest to what God wants you to do? Well, after some protests, Jeremiah sensed that he could not be nor would he ever want to be anything other than the prophet that God had called him and created him to become. And that's how powerful God's purpose can be in your life if and when you will discover it and allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to effectively live it out. I always get excited when I get to preach from my favorite book in the Bible, Philippians chapter number one. Uh, You know, while you 're turning there, either on your smartphone or in your Bibles, we no longer have to question if we have a purpose, but rather what is it and so our challenge is to discover that purpose and to live it out uh, for the past four weeks as i said we've been we 've been talking about this, what it might look like if each of us discovered and and lived out that God given purpose for the kingdom, and, and my hope and my prayer is is that this series, this series of sermons, um, has led each of us to pursue God's purpose. But most importantly, my prayer is that you don't stop doing that after the series is over. I want this to be something that impacts our lives from this day forward. I want each of us to to continue to pursue and to fulfill that purpose with passion, with intensity. Because the truth of the matter is, until you discover your purpose, your life will never experience the meaning that God wants it to have for you. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse number 5, The smartest man who ever lived said, Counsel is a man's heart in deep water. A counsel in a man's heart is deep water, but a man of understanding draws it up. I like that. Well, Philippians chapter number 1, I want to just share with you four verses initially. I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was going to try and read it without giving you the context, but I just can't do it. Because the context is so important to add meaning and significance to what these words say. Paul is writing these words sitting in a Roman dungeon. Chains on his hands, chains on his feet, a dark, damp, cold dungeon that he knows in reality he's never going to walk out of a free man. And I'm guessing through perhaps a window or an opening in that dungeon He hears the roars from the Roman Colosseum as the Roman people get enjoyment out of seeing Christians such as Paul fed to lions. Paul is sitting there in that dungeon not knowing if perhaps tomorrow his turn comes. And it's within that context that Paul writes these words. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. He's talking to the church in Philippi. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, friends, but to be able to write those words in the midst of those circumstances is not humanly possible, but supernaturally with God. All things are possible. I want to give you this morning, at least to start with, five keys to understanding our purpose in life. And Melissa, here it is. I I told Melissa this last week, us preachers like to use acrostics. So I'm going to use an acrostic using the word shape to give you five keys to understanding your purpose. S stands for spiritual gifts. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, he said in verse 1 about matters of the Spirit, that is spiritual gifts. Brothers, I do not want you to be under unaware. And then you skip on down to verse number 7. He describes spiritual gifts as a manifestation of the Spirit being given to each person. Each person. To produce what is beneficial. Every one of us here this morning, God wants to give a gift of His Spirit. Supernatural gifts. Special abilities distributed by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's design and grace. And as that verse 7 says, each has his own gift from God. Every believer has at least one. And those gifts enable us to do the miraculous work of God. And in so doing, we can experience God's love, God's grace, God's power, and God's provision. And when we use those spiritual gifts in our lives, we're drawing upon the power of God as we minister in the name of Jesus. But those gifts, I want you to hear me, those gifts are not for our benefit. Spiritual gifts are given to us to benefit others, that we might be able to minister to them, minister to them effectively, and in so doing, see the kingdom of God being built brick by brick, if you will. As each one of us do our part, the kingdom of God is built, and, and, and the, the numbers in that kingdom of God are increased as we use those things that God has given to us to effectively minister to people. The letter H stands for our heart. Heart. Your heart is where your passion resides. Passion is that God-given desire of the heart to make a difference somewhere, in some way, in someone. And when you discover your passion, what is it that you're passionate about? you'll become excited and you'll become energized in serving God because the heart is the driving force within us that moves us to action and focuses our life in such a way that we impact those around us. Your heart's passion revolves around either people or issues or causes. If your passion revolves around people, you can have a passion, for example, for children, for youth, for single parents as we did a week ago. You can have a passion to minister to the elderly. If your passion revolves around causes or issues, it can be around issues like prejudice or abortion or or, or the environment or, or hunger or poverty. You get the idea. Identifying our passion will help us to understand where we can best serve God. That brings us to the letter A. A stands for abilities. You can also serve God through those abilities and skills that you have learned. Um, I, I mean... This doesn't require a whole lot of explanation. It's not rocket science. We're not talking necessarily about spiritual gifts here. We're talking about learned abilities and how those learned abilities can be used in the service of God for benefit of others and for his kingdom. For example, a technologically savvy person can edit and upload our services that Lauren, uh, that Leonard and and Tim and and all those back there in the sound booth they they help us because they they have been given the skills that can upload our services for others to hear or perhaps even watch on the internet. A, a woodworker builds things around the church. You get the idea. A school teacher teaches. A a painter paints. A cook can provide food for for hospitality and fellowship. These are all a part of what we call ministry. Brings us to the letter P. P is for personality. Yes, you do have one. God has given each of us a unique personality that we can use for his kingdom work. Your personality determines how you receive and how you focus emotional energy as well as the way in which you most effectively interact with your culture and your environment. Uh, two elements to your personality when it comes to serving. First, and I, this is not, this is, I'm just warming up. This is not scriptural preaching, this is just teaching. Your personality, um, uh, 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 your personality has two elements. You're either task oriented or people oriented. Task oriented people are energized by doing something. People oriented folks are energized by interacting with people. There's also a second element, and that's how you're organized or not. You're either structured or unstructured. If you're an unstructured person, then perhaps you ought to serve in a ministry which has lots of spontaneity and flexibility. If you're a structured person, you need to serve in a ministry which is clearly defined, has, has structure and very clear responsibilities that are to be carried out. God has given each of us a personality and thus a personal style with which we are to relate and deal with the people around us. Can I just say this? God has not made you however you are by accident. You are just the way God has made you to be. Uh, do we always see eye to eye? Do our personalities always mesh? No. But you know why? Why? Because God has different people with different personalities that all need ministry. My personality won't minister to certain types of people. Your personality doesn't effectively minister to certain types of people. So God makes us all different in order to accomplish the same goal. Reaching people. Uh, Maximize your personality for His benefit. He purposely... Made you as you are. Finally, E stands for experiences. That's not finally as in the end of the service. That means finally for this example. And this is the one that I want us to really focus on this morning. The letter E stands for experiences. I grew up hearing that the old adage that says experience is the best teacher. Any of you ever heard that? E stands for experiences. You've had experiences, both good and bad, which not only make you who you are, but can be used and even redeemed by God for His service. An example of that is pain. You know, most of us try to bury or forget painful experiences. But God wants to redeem them. He wants to use our painful experiences that we've unfortunately, we think unfortunately, have had to go through. God can use those to accomplish his purposes. So what I'm saying to you this morning is don't deny your pain or bury it, but rather embrace it. Your pain can become an instrument through which you can minister to others in their time of pain and become an instrument of God's healing grace and hope now i want to give you an example of this from brenda's life and mine um very practical terms most of you are aware that brenda and i started a ministry in wichita in 2003 we planted a church called freedom's gate in downtown Wichita, that was established to target the men and the women coming out of the Kansas prison system along with their families. We were located directly across the street from the the Kansas Department of Corrections work release facility, which housed 250 inmates who were getting ready to serve what they hoped to be the last 10 months of their prison sentence the department of corrections had had realized that you know just turning a guy out of prison and putting him on the streets isn't a real good idea so they give them the opportunity based on their behavior while in prison to come to the Wichita work release facility to serve the final 10 months of their sentence where they can go out of the facility during the day and find a job to be able to start storing up some some finances and some skills for the for the time when they're prison sentence is completed now while they are there at that facility they also have a few other perks one of which is they can donate three hours a week to religious activities now that's where we came in that three hours included their transportation to and from wherever they wanted to go practice their religion and trust me when i tell you there's every kind of religion inside the prison that you can imagine, some even that you can't imagine. And so we knew we needed a place very close in proximity to the work release facility because ideally we wanted to have a Saturday evening service for the inmates, and then we wanted to have an opportunity for us to come together as a group uh, to just personally sew into them skills and, and mentorship of, of what it looks like to serve and to follow Jesus. So we wanted to have access to them two, two nights a week. And I don't have time to go into all the details, but by nothing short of a miracle from God, God put us right across the street from that work release facility. We had access to 250 guys. And it's within that context of explaining this ministry to you that I want to share what that ministry looked like in terms of of, of building blocks or practical terms. As I said, we offered them a a weekly church service along with this Bible study group, accountability group, or accountability group is what I meant to say. Most importantly, our goal was to help them to get to know and to begin to live like Jesus. Now, I'm sure you've figured out by now, If they had been living like Jesus, they probably wouldn't have been in prison. So, even as adults, they needed to learn some things that they had never practiced before. And that's where we came in. Um, We had many inmates. We had their families who could come and worship with them. Who had absolutely nothing to their name. Nothing with which to establish a fresh start back in society. Now among the obstacles that they faced upon their release from prison, as you might well imagine, was finding housing. Finding a job. Having transportation to get them to and from the job. Uh, what, what else? What else? Clothing. They didn't want to wear their orange jumpsuit everywhere. They needed clothing. They needed household items. Many of them, trust me, needed hygiene items. But no way to gain any of those things without the help of our people. And so, in addition to pastoring and leading that church that we called Freedom's Gate, we developed a core group of people who were sympathetic to the needs of men and women who were being released from prison. Who, who became a part of our church, who became part of a core group of people who would, who would address these issues, these obstacles that these men and women were facing. And, and to the very best of our ability, either provide for them or or help them to, to attain uh, the ability to overcome these obstacles. And I can't even begin to tell you how overwhelming those obstacles can be. We had men coming to our church who had been in prison for 25, 30 years. The world had gone by them. <laughs> One of my favorite inmates, his name was Mikey. Mikey went into prison at the age of 17 for rape and murder. He came out of prison after 23 years. Came to work release. (laughs) And when they first get to work release, they give them a supervised visit to go to Walmart to get hygiene items, clothing, whatever. Mikey calls me from Walmart. He says, Terry, I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death. All these people, they have these cell phones, they're following me around. I mean, he was freaking out because he had become institutionalized. He did not have any skills with which to survive. On the outside. And so many just like Mikey. Were facing all of these obstacles. And being a felon is not an easy thing to be. They needed to find gainful employment. Those who struggled with finding employment. Many became homeless. Which is a violation of one's parole. If they don't have an address. Which sends them directly back to prison. Others of them couldn't find anyone to hire them or give them a job, so they eventually return in order to survive to what they're familiar with, which consists of slinging dope, robbing, stealing. And if they can't make a success, if they can't have any success doing those things that they're not supposed to be doing, many of them turn to drugs and alcohol to to deal with their pain, all of which send them straight back to the joint. <laughs> and as part of Freedom's Gate, we had these people who shared our heart of compassion for these men and the women and their families. And together, we purposed to come alongside them in whatever ways that we could. And our church people would mentor them, put them in touch with employers who who would give them a chance, who would provide needed household items for them, food, hygiene items, clothing, you name it. We did our best to try to provide it. And And most of all, our church people made themselves available to the inmates to call when they were struggling. We made ourselves available to pick up, I can't even guess how many items of furniture that people in the city of Wichita and surrounding area were willing to donate to help those inmates. We made ourselves available to transport them to church. We made ourselves available to transport them to their parole officer meetings, to their jobs. And there was hardly a week went by over those nine years where I didn't have to attend a court hearing, whether for violations of their parole or, as it was the case with many of them, custody or visitation hearings for their kids. Now, think about this. The reason I'm telling you this in such detail, I'm into ministry, okay? I, I like to preach. What I found in this was preaching was not what they needed. They didn't need another sermon. They needed someone to show them the love of Jesus in a practical way. I started feeling more like a social worker than I felt like a pastor. And believe me, that took a toll. But we made ourselves available to counsel with them over a myriad of different situations that had resulted in their incarceration. Can't even begin to tell you the number of of middle-of-the-night phone calls. Calls. That we received over the course of those eight years, and nine years, and that's just the ones we took. Thank God for caller ID. After a while, you start learning the numbers, and you start learning that, you know what, they've got themselves in a mess again. And uh, after a while, you just have to, you just have to cut the strings, because. If you continue to try to do what you've been doing, you become an enabler, and your help is just for their own selfish gain because they didn't get—they're one of the ones that don't get it. Now we had church members in that core group who had professional gifts, life experiences that were related to the specific challenges to those inmates that those inmates faced. And, and we would meet continually as a core group to develop and to implement stability plans for them and that, would, that would give them access to opportunities and would help them overcome those obstacles, all for the purpose of empowering them to eventually come back and become productive members of society. Now, I wish I could stand up here and tell you we had an astounding success rate. We didn't. But I can tell you this. In the lives of some of those today, 10 to 15 years after the fact, the coordinated efforts of Freedom's Gate ministry paved the way for many of them to become economically stable, productive members of their community and of their family. We help guys who today are on the road as over-the-road truckers. They're doing a good job at it. We helped a young man who now serves as the human resources director for St. John's Military Academy in Salina, Kansas. We helped an enormously talented man become the worship leader and now a deacon in the church we left to come be pastors of Trinity faith. That same man... Has become a successful architect designing churches and hotels throughout the Midwest. Are you hearing me? We helped a former inmate regain the most successful drywall business in the state of Kansas, a business that he had lost. Because of his drug usage, he's now doing it again. More importantly, our help in practical ways. Not just spiritual ways, but in practical ways. Help those guys discover the importance of Jesus and his church for their lives. The one thing that we shared with them that I I will stick to till the day I die, it was impossible for them to succeed outside of prison without the local church. I can tell you that is an absolute certainty. Unless they attach themselves to a local church of believers in Jesus Christ who will hold them accountable, who will help them when they can, they don't stand a ghost of a chance of surviving on the outside. Now, why am I sharing all of that with you? Back to Philippians. Paul's prayer and God's focus is to complete the work that he has started in us. As, as, as I'm rapidly approaching closing this message, Let me just real quickly give you four critical tools to help you pursue and live out your life purpose. First is to take risks. And I know no one wants to hear that. Take risks. To pursue your life purpose, you've got to be willing to take a risk upon God showing you first your purpose. Living your life purpose is not an easy task. It's hard work. It comes with challenges and obstacles. But it also comes with opportunities to put your faith into practice by stepping out in faith and taking great risks for the kingdom of God. As you might imagine, I can promise you that over the course of nine years of prison ministry at Freedom's Gate, I took some risks in helping some of those knuckleheads. Many that I wouldn't take again. We had churches from around the state of Kansas, women's groups, who were putting together Christmas packages for the families of those inmates while they're still in, in the work release facility. Well, being the knucklehead that I am, we wanted to distribute those gifts to some of those families on Christmas morning, right? So here I am. I load up my pickup on Christmas morning, and I'm driving through the hood in Wichita and i'm taking wrapped christmas presents to houses and i'm noticing that i'm the only white person in blocks the next week after that was over i went to the hutchinson correctional facility to minister to one of the to visit and to minister with one of the inmates and he said, Well, how was your Christmas? And I said, Oh man, it was awesome. It was awesome. I, I, I took these gifts to, to some of your family, some of the guys' families that you know. And he said, You did what? He said, When did you take them? I said, I took them early in the morning on Christmas morning. And he said, Don't you ever go down there again, even in daylight. He said, you were a target. And if they see you coming again, you may not come back out. Well, I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) It involves taking risks. Here's what you need to understand about taking risks. There are times that you're going to get burned. But in God's eyes... What I did was what God had asked me to do. With the tools that he had been given to me and made available to me, and that's all God asked me to do, to be faithful in fulfilling his purpose. He didn't ask me to be a success with every risk that I took. God's looking at your willingness to do what he asks you to do you're not responsible for the results. You're not. If we never take a risk, if we never step out in faith, we're never going to join God in His work and realize God's purpose for our lives. Too often we never take a risk in this matter of faith and the result is we stay stuck and and we never progress in our relationship with Jesus and our God-given purpose I heard it said this way, if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. Every great move of God, every great disciple of Jesus, every great life lived for God has involved taking great risks in the name of Jesus for the sake of the kingdom of God. Secondly, leave your isolation Not one of us can do this thing called living for Jesus alone. Let's just say it together. I can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. Paul writes again in Philippians where we read from earlier. He said, I give thanks to God for every remembrance of you because of your partnership." In the gospel from the first day until now. A huge problem in the world that we live in today is that people are isolating themselves more and more from one another. And it's evidenced by the fact that surveys are finding that Americans are lonelier than ever. If we're ever going to be able to carry out the work that God has started in us, it's imperative that each of us leave Perhaps what have become lives of isolation and connect in community with other people. We can't do this God thing by ourselves. Paul needed others. He's in prison. He's in chains. No wonder he's thanking God for partnership in the gospel. He's saying, you have partnered with me with what God has called me to. I'm not able to go do the work that I'd like to be doing, but because of our partnership. I know that the work is being done by people who have shared the same calling. God wants us to connect in community. That's why He created this thing called church. (laughs) get connected. And when you do, you'll find the hope and the encouragement you need to live for Jesus. Hear me on this, friends. Purpose is never pursued in isolation. It's never pursued in isolation. It only happens in community. Our God is a God of community. He moves greatly when we are connected to other people. I mentioned those surveys a moment ago. Newsweek magazine some time ago reported a medical study out of the state of California which found that people who are lonely and isolated are more prone to experience lower achievement in life. Well, duh. They also found that those people have lower esteem, that they are more prone to self-destructive behavior. And connecting in community means you get what you need to ensure you are successful in serving God. That's what we were doing for those inmates giving them the tools that they needed so that they could succeed. When you're connected to other people who live by faith, who have right attitudes, and who have have the right God-given purpose, your life is going to be fulfilling. If you're surrounded by Christ-centered people, I can guarantee you, you're going to one day become Christ-centered. Did you hear that? If you surround yourself by Christ-centered people, you yourself will one day become Christ-centered. By the same token, if you surround yourself with spiritually plateaued, spiritually content, or negative glass half-empty people, you're going to become like they are. My dad used to tell me, Terry, you're only as good as the company you keep. He was right. He was right. I can tell you today that God has strategically placed people around each of us to help us become more and more like Jesus. You don't believe that, just look around. You can't just, I don't know why I'm going this direction, but I'm going to. You just can't make those connections by just coming to worship on a Sunday morning. It's a a seven-day-a-week relationship. You have to connect with people. Thirdly, stop chasing happiness and instead pursue joy. In verse number 4, Paul said, Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Hear me on this, friends. Too many people are pursuing happiness rather than joy. What is happiness? Well, I saw a bumper sticker a while back that said happiness is being married. But that was quickly contradicted by another bumper sticker I saw sometime later that said happiness is being single. One cynical bumper sticker that I've also seen is happiness is impossible. Well, for most people, happiness is possible, but it's also fickle. It's shallow. It's fleeting. The problem with happiness is that it's derived from our life circumstances. And those circumstances are always changing. If the circumstances of your life are good, you're happy, right? Joy, on the other hand, joy for the follower of Jesus is directly related to God and is the firm confidence that even in the midst of what may be my worst circumstances of life, it is well with my soul. That's joy. Paul's life is an example of that. His life was filled with joy despite his circumstances. Why? Because he had a vibrant, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And he finally identified his real life purpose and was living it out. He formerly thought his life purpose was to stamp out this movement called Christianity. And he went around that region of the world arresting and giving consent to murder people who believed in Jesus. But then Jesus knocked him off his donkey on the road to Damascus. And this Jesus that he met changed everything. He finally found that his purpose, instead of persecuting Jesus and his followers was to take the gospel to the entire world. The good news of Jesus, even if it meant being beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and imprisoned and ultimately beheaded for the sake of preaching the gospel. The Apostle Peter says it this way, You rejoice in this though now for a short time you've had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith more valuable than gold which perishes though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love Him though you've not seen Him. You love Him though you've not seen Him and though not seeing Him now you believe in Him. And rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. The letter to Jude in verse number 24 says it this way, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. Can I just ask you a quick question? How many of you would agree with me that the greatest decision you ever made in your life was to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? That's why. Because we know that even in the midst of our circumstances, we can have joy. So stop pursuing happiness and pursue lasting joy. I'm hurrying to a close. Believe me, I am. Fourthly and lastly, love intensely. Paul knew all about love. He was chief among sinners. He was the number one enemy of followers of Jesus. And he knew that that Jesus whom he encountered on that road to Damascus showed his love to him in such a great way by forgiving him for all of that stuff. Loving him enough to say, Paul, (laughs) you thought you were doing your life purpose. Boy, you haven't seen nothing yet. What I'm going to call you to do The reason I'm forgiving you, Paul, for all of that stuff is I have a purpose for you that is beyond your imagination. I wonder if Paul had any idea that 2,000 years later many of us would be sitting in Trinity Faith Church in Liberal, Kansas who if we were to be able to do an examination of our spiritual coming to Jesus... If we went back far enough, it would be around the it would be the Apostle Paul, who took the good news of Jesus to a country called Spain, who sent a man named Christopher Columbus to come to America, and along with him, the good news of Jesus, that eventually spread across this country. And fell upon those of us here today. Now that's a purpose. <laughs> Wonder what Paul's thinking up there right now. He's saying, Are you kidding me? Doug Hibbs? <laughs> are you are you kidding me, Terry Ingler? Really? He was affected by my preaching? And then Paul would just turn and say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for using me to accomplish your divine plan. The love which Paul experienced in Jesus was so much overflowing out of him that everyone he met felt it, experienced it. And this radical love that we each have received, just like Paul calls us, and propels us to love others radically in the name of Jesus. Love is the power that will help move us forward in pursuing and fulfilling the purpose of God in our lives. Well, here it is. God wants to carry on the work that He started in you. But that's up to each of us. He said in verse 6, I am sure of this. That he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Can you only imagine what it would feel like to love someone who's never experienced unconditional love before? And as a result of that love that you're showing to them, see them come to Jesus, become a part of the kingdom of God, Can you only imagine using the gifts, the talents, the skills, the experiences that God has brought you through and given to you that will enable you to meet the needs of an entire family and seeing that family develop a relationship with Jesus all because you made yourself available to them? Can you only imagine The satisfaction that can be found in knowing that you've been the one responsible for helping someone put their life back together, to get their family back together, to bring healing to a situation that have come to a person's life because of bad choices that they've made. And you're the one that God uses to turn them around. Worship team, would you come, please? Dear Jesus, this morning, God, I believe you want to say something profoundly to the heart of each and every one of us in this room this morning. Lord, each and every one of us have gone through some stuff. And we can either moan and groan and and curse and rehearse and nurse those wounds that, from that stuff that we've gone through or we can give them to you so that you can redeem them you can redeem them in us and use us for your glory to help someone else going through some similar stuff Holy Spirit of God, I'm praying that you would empower us this morning. Give each of us the faith to believe that you have us here for a divine purpose. And that if we do not carry out that purpose that you have given us, that it may not just get done by someone else. There may be lives hanging in the balance waiting on us. To fulfill the purpose for which you created us. And God I think I can speak for every one of us in this room this morning. None of us want to miss that opportunity. None of us want to be responsible God for somebody missing heaven. And yet that one person their life may be depending upon us. To act upon that which you brought us through those things that you have gifted us with, the amazing abilities and talents that are too numerous to even go into across this congregation this morning. The experiences, some that were good, some that were painful. God, you don't want to waste those things. You want us to be able to use them because you can redeem them and accomplish great and mighty things through us. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you do a a deep work in us this morning. Lord, as we get ready to issue this invitation this morning, I'm praying, God, that you would help us to forget who's on our right or on our left, forget about who might see us respond in the way that you want us to respond. Help us to put all of that stuff aside, God. Because we are here and we mean business with you this morning. And you mean business with us. With your heads bowed and every eye closed, please no one looking around. You say, Pastor, whatever I have that God can use, I want to give it to him this morning. Just raise your hand. Whatever it is that you can use in me, God. Whether it's my talents, my abilities, my experiences. I give them to you. To use for your glory. Now with those hands raised. Stand to your feet. And let's give Jesus praise this morning. Let's give him praise. He's speaking to you. He's saying to you. Yes. You're saying yes to the purpose for which I created you. This is something to be excited about.